Prepare yourself for an in-depth examination of something mundane from Icy Robot's day-to-day existence. Welcome to This Boring Life. Hello, my kids. It is me, Icy Robots, and I am back for another another episode of This Boring Life, the show in which we we take a look at the origin story of me, Icy Robots, and the way we do it is one topic at a time. And the topic we are going to tackle this week is my forays into the world of martial arts. Yes, the world of hand-to-hand combat. As far back as I can remember, I've been interested in fighting arts as uh, as many boys are, as most boys are, and many girls. I'm not I'm not trying to say that girls aren't into fighting too, because obviously there are. There's there's all sorts of uh, female fighting going on nowadays. UFC, wrestling, it's all it's all fun. We all love it. Everybody everybody likes to fight. If not fight, they like to think about who would win a fight. Who would win a fight between who's the who's the toughest, who's the roughest, all that stuff. Even when even when I was a young sprat, I was into um fighting arts. Like I like I just said, my my first exposure was probably the world of professional wrestling. I have long been a fan of uh, the uh, pro graps arts. I I started off with the WWF around. I would say WrestleMania one was when it really started to get my attention. The whole thing, the whole thing with like Cindy Lauper and Hulk Hogan and Captain Lou Albano and all that stuff. That that really grabbed the attention of a young icy robots, and it was it was all off and running from there. I got into like the NWA, Jim Crockett promotions. I got into the AWA with Vern Gagne and and all this stuff. And while while I kind of suspected that wrestling wasn't on the up and up, I I did kind of sort of think that maybe kind of it was on the up and up, especially when I would when I would go down to Sawyer's News or at first Safeway and I would see wrestling magazines like The Wrestler or Inside Wrestling or Pro Wrestling Illustrated, and the the dudes on the cover of the magazines would be covered with blood. That was a uh, that was like a pretty popular topic at a, at the time. The the photograph of the crimson mask to sell some issues. I would. I'd see that, and I would think, how can this be phony? How can this not be real? Look at Ric Flair. Look at Dusty Rhodes. They, they're covered in blood. And while the wrestling that I saw the most on TV was World Wrestling Federation, they had a show Saturday mornings, they had a show Sunday mornings, wrestling superstars that I would watch, I, I kind of suspected this stuff wasn't on the up and up, but the, uh, the Ric Flair NWA stuff, that... That must be real. Those guys are covered in blood. They're covered in scars. They're not they're not phony balonies like Hulk Hogan and stuff who while he did occasionally get some blood wasn't wasn't the type known to wear the crimson mask. I I spent a lot of time thinking who would win if Hulk Hogan were to fight let's say the one man gang in a real fight who would win. I would really I would really spend a lot of time thinking about which of these guys has real fighting skills. Like I would like I would watch the wrestling and try to determine who's a real fighter, who's who's an actual tough guy and who's like who's a phony. I had always thought that um the Dynamite Kid, the Dynamite Kid from the British Bulldogs looked like a real tough guy. He was one of the first dudes I saw and I'm like this guy is bad. This guy's bad to the bone and over the years I've I've learned about Dynamite. I've read his biography and he he seems like a really mean really uh kind of a miserable guy so I guess I was 
I was right on that point. I thought Hacksaw Duggan. I remember thinking Hacksaw Duggan was really tough. Dude was like a big giant guy with these big giant hands. And I'm like, he must be tough. I remember also thinking that the Road Warriors, they must be super tough. I mean, look at them. They're like, they're like gigantically muscular and they wear spikes. Well, jealousy is something the Legion of Doom doesn't quite grasp or understand because we've never found anything about anybody to be jealous about. I mean, listening to stuff like that, how could you not think these guys were tough? Plus, they were, they were like the most muscular dudes in all of wrestling. And when I was, when I was younger, we were taught that, like, muscles were toughness. If you were big and you were jacked, if you had, like, giant biceps and giant traps, you were there for, like... Super tough. That has since been disproven. A lot of the guys at the top of, like, the UFC or whatever aren't really, like, they're not, like, super jacked. As a matter of fact, they've been UFC champs who are fat. So, I I don't know. But at the time, you really do buy into that muscle and fitness style of, uh, of being tough. And I, I would spend a lot of my time, like, doing push-ups and, like, lifting stuff. Trying to, trying to emulate those physiques. But it turns out that you can't, you can't really get those physiques through like a natural means, if you know what I'm saying. So that time was all was all spent for naught. I I was into wrestling like crazy for the longest time, and I I considered myself kind of like a smart guy, like a smart fan, because I did I did spend most of my time thinking who would be the toughest of all these guys, as opposed to like as opposed to like buying into the storylines and falling for it when like George the Animal Steel was falling in love with Elizabeth and stuff like that. At one point in school, I I fell behind in English and my teacher, who I don't I don't recall who he was, but he offered me the opportunity to take on a creative writing project. He said just go home, write something that you think is interesting and bring it in and I'll I'll read it over and give you some extra credit for that. So I went home and I, I got one of my notebooks. I would always I would always keep these like uh, these like legal pads around to keep to keep various thoughts and notes and D and D stats and stuff like that. And I I sat down and I wrote a I wrote a fictional wrestling show where all the dudes from the from the WWF were challenged by dudes from other organizations. But the the thing was, it was a real fight. It wasn't a wrestling show. This was this was the one night where you were gonna see the Rock and Roll Express fist fight against, say, the Killer Bees and the the uh, Road Warriors would go toe to toe with the sheep herders from a uh, from whatever. I set it up where it was. This was all for the glory of your organization. The dudes decided for one night they were going to do it for real because they were going to show they were the toughest. That the NWA was the toughest. That the AWA was the toughest. That a uh, world class out of Texas was the toughest. I don't know. I I gave it to my teacher and he read it through. I ended up writing like ten or fifteen pages on this um on this legal pad about about who I thought would win in a fist fight between the Ultimate Warrior and uh Chris um Chris Adams from World Class, let's say. And uh, he he liked it a lot. Dude was really really encouraging to me. He thought that it was that it was a creative project that he he thought maybe I could be a sports writer or something. But of course he had to add in that uh that you know wrestling's not real. But if if you're interested in wrestling to this degree, why don't you why don't you try out for the uh, the wrestling team, the um, junior high wrestling team? This was something. This was something that I had considered at one point because I was so into wrestling. But I I have to admit that I didn't I didn't really know what wrestling was like real wrestling, like amateur style. I was all 
I was all into the pro style, and I I wasn't sure what to expect when I would see amateur wrestling, the high school wrestling, or the junior high wrestling. I, in my mind, I imagined that it was some sort of an amateur version of professional wrestling. Like, you would go in there, and you would train how to, like, bounce off the ropes or whatever. I don't know if I thought the school actually owned a, a ring or what. I was... I was a stupid kid. I want to I want to toss that out there. I was I was crazy mad stupid and thought all kinds of stupid things and I I actually took up the uh, teacher's advice and decided to go to the instructional meeting for the wrestling team. And I I went in and I sat in there and I, I noted that all the dudes who were trying out were um they were like the good athletes from the school. There weren't any of the uh None of the, like, wrestling fans or people that I knew that I spent my time talking about Rowdy Roddy Piper with. So I, I immediately started thinking that something might be up. And then after a while, I'm listening to it, and he's talking about the rules, and he's talking about working out. And I'm thinking, this has nothing to do with WWF. He hasn't at one point mentioned how to drop an elbow off the top rope like Randy Macho Man Savage. He at no time has mentioned how to give somebody... The, uh, the abdominal stretch or whatever you call it. I've, I've always had a hard time with that. When I was a kid, I thought the abdominal stretch was the abominable stretch. Like the, like the abominable snowman. So I, I still from time to time call it the abominable stretch, which is, which is kind of a better name if you think about it. But it does stretch your abdomen. It's also abominable. So I don't know. I'm actually surprised that I was able to go through that whole thing and say abominable as well as abdominal without like throwing my lips all over the place and out of whack. But I I noticed he wasn't talking about anything like that. I remember thinking the day before wrestling tryouts or wrestling instructional meeting that I that I was going to be there and dude was going to pull out like a box of gimmicks. Like he was going to pull out like some kind of some kind of big chest full of like masks and scepters and crowns and all all kinds of stuff. And that we were going to like we were going to pick our trunks and we were going to pick our tights and we were going to go at it WWF style. And by the end of the meeting, I, I noted that he that he had not done anything like that. And I, and I had already said I'm a stupid kid, but I wasn't stupid enough to go up to Coach Guido and say, hey, Coach Guido, where's the box full of masks? Where's that stuff? So I at least escaped with some dignity, but I did not, in fact, try out. I didn't do it. I, I realized it wasn't the uh, thing that I thought it was. Like I said, I was a super stupid kid. I should have I should have tried out, man. It might have made me a better person. The person you're looking at right now or listening to right now may have been a better person. I don't know. Wrestling's a real sport. Wrestling's dope. Amateur wrestling is great. It's the basis of a... Uh, most successful martial arts, mixed martial arts fighters. I, I could have got in on the ground floor, dude. Who knows? Your boy could have been the UFC champ. Highly doubtful. I was too stupid and lazy. Why shouldn't you join wrestling? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Real question is, why shouldn't you join wrestling? Go! So you get to hurt people. Wrestling is one of the most complete sports you could ever find. Lose weight, you get in shape, and you can look like this guy right here. I like this guy. I'm in. Wrestling is the best sport this school has to offer. Exactly. Wrestling is where you're supposed to go. We want to be as big as me. We go all year, all day, every day. Flying penguins. We will walk! Yes! <laughs> See this shirt right here? You get a complimentary shirt when you join the wrestling team. That's already one reason. <laughs> Ten bucks, but... I should have joined sports back when I was in school. I just didn't have the confidence to put myself out there and join the wrestling team or anything. But it's like it's like this big circle. You don't have the confidence, but then the uh, the competition and the achievement will give you the confidence, but you can't get it because you don't have it in the first place. What a what a world we live in. I should have done it though. I actually had a couple friends who did. Let me 
Let me spin a quick yarn before we move on to uh, my love of boxing. My my pal Thorin, this kid that we hung out with, he was like a little little small guy, and he joined the wrestling team at one of the lower weights. And my my buddy Mark, this guy I hung out with, he was like my other wrestling buddy. He was the other dude I knew at school who was obsessed with WWF, and we would we would talk about it and all that, all that kind of stuff. We we decided to go and support Thorin at one of the wrestling meets. We were gonna we were gonna cheer him on. We had a we had a sign that said Thorin rules in the, in the in the manner of like the old Hulk rules back in the back in the day with Hulk Hogan and stuff. But we we decided at the last minute we were gonna flip the script and I would have a sign that said Thorin rules and he would have a sign that said Thorin is a wuss. And we would like go back and forth and like holler at each other with like no Thorin rules. And the other guy would be like, no, Thorin's a wuss. But we we went to the event and it wasn't, I guess, customary to carry signs to amateur wrestling events. So we we kind of got stopped at the entry by one of the uh, teachers who was chaperoning or whatever you call it. And this person brought to my attention that, uh, well, you know, typically bring signs in the uh, arena. Let me let me take a look and see what the uh, what the what these guys say. And the the first one he pulled out said uh, Thorin rules. And he's like, oh, that's cool. Yeah, you can bring this one in for sure. And then he pulled out the other one and it said Thorin's a wuss. And he he looked at us like you just said he ruled. Now you think he's a wuss. I don't. I don't even know what's up with you. And he said, "You guys get out of here." And he wouldn't let us in the event. I didn't get to see the amateur wrestling. I think that was the only time I've ever tried to go see the high school or junior high wrestling, as it was at the time. Maybe, maybe I would have gone. Maybe I would have seen it. Maybe I would have had fun. I don't know. I could have become an amateur wrestling enthusiast. It was around this time that I got into boxing. I was flipping through the channels and I saw Mike Tyson fighting on TV, and he was uh, devastating some fool. And then they they played a highlight of Mike Tyson knockout right after that. And I was just like, what is this? This is bananas. This, uh, this dude is fixing to launch somebody into orbit with one of those uppercuts. Mike's a shorter guy, and he would just, like, he would generate such power from his hips and his waist, and uh, his uppercut was just, it was ludicrous. And they had this whole video on wide world of sports of dude just lambasting, just just crushing guys, and I was enamored. From that point, I still I did watch wrestling. I was into wrestling, but boxing was in the mix. This was like a really a really good time for uh, El Boxeo. There was there was Mike, of course, but there was also like Sugar Ray Leonard and Hitman Hearns and Roberto Duran. Julio Cesar Chavez, all these really charismatic fighters. Nowadays, I do try to pay attention to boxing. I like, you know, uh, Tyson Fury and all these, all these heavyweights and stuff. But it's not, it's not really the same as it, uh, as it used to be. They don't have that, like, headlining star with all the charisma. Sure, there's Money Mayweather, but we're, we're at the end of the days of Floyd Mayweather. He might fight again. I wouldn't be surprised to see him fight once or twice, maybe against, like, some UFC guy again in some kind of weird, uh, exhibition. But... I, at the time, boxing, it was just like, it was such a captivating sport. So many top stars, so many exciting fights. My fave was Mike, of course. Everybody's favorite was Mike. But I also liked Tommy Hearns, Hitman Hearns, the Motor City Cobra dude was tall and he was thin. And he had this, he had an absolutely lethal right hand that he could just like uncork out of nowhere. I, I really dug that guy a lot. I did not like Sugar Ray Leonard. I was not a Sugar Ray guy. I've always been the kind of guy who doesn't, 
doesn't so much go for the dude who's the biggest star. Now, Mike, Mike was the exception because he was just like an absolute bad to the bone force of nature. It was, it was a rare human being out there that wasn't interested in, in watching, um, Mike Tyson fight, but I didn't go for Sugar Ray. I would say he was like the, the second biggest dude out there when he had his, his famous bout against Marvelous Marvin Hagler after Hagler, uh, went through my dude, Hitman Hearns, and, like, what is the most exciting fight of all the times in space. Marvin going for the body. Wild first round. Wow, what a shock. And it was Hadler who initiated it, not Thomas Hearns. On the left oh, by Hadler. Hearns comes back. Another right. That one's done Hearns. What a first minute of the fight. That was just the first minute. These dudes came out swinging right from the jump, and they kept it up for three amazing rounds. And once I saw this, I was I was absolutely hooked. It was a great time for lighter weight fighters. You had Hagler and Hearns, of course. You had Sugar Ray, who I mentioned. Roberto Duran was in the mix. You had like John the Beast, Mugabe. You had like you had Nigel Ben. Nigel Ben was this British fighter that I, I was really into. He was a he was a glass jawed. Iron-fisted middleweight. He would go out there and either, like, knock somebody out in seconds or he would himself get knocked out. I was I was so into this guy. It was just a great time to be involved with boxing. And I, I, I was just, I was absolutely hooked. And I, I started to, like, I started to train in my backyard. I'm sure this is something that a lot of you guys have done. A little, little backyard punching bag stuff. There was a... There was a tree in our side yard, and I would take my pillow, my bed pillow, and I would use my belt. And I would put the pillow on the tree and wrap it around with my belt, and then I would um, I would go to work. At first, and this is, this is a deep cut. I had, to, I had to think about this for a little bit. I would wear uh, socks on my hand. First, I would put one long sock, like a tube sock, right? And then over the tube sock... I would put, like, a smaller sock, like an ankle sock. So I had, and I, I still wear these kind. I like the black ankle socks. And I would pull them over the uh, tube socks so it looked like I had a glove over my tape. And I would, like, I would punch the tree. I would try to land combos on the pillow on, on the tree. And I would... I would skip rope a little bit. I'm not a I'm not a really good rope skipper. I've always I've always wished that I was, but I don't have like the uh, footwork to be able to be like uh, you know, Mister. I'm doing all these uh, tricks inside the jump rope. No dice. I would punch on the thing, do the jump rope, and then I would like shadow box all over the side yard, like I was like I was in training. I I got like a couple boxing guides too over at uh, Treehorn Books. That's a used bookstore here in Santa Rosa on 4th Street. I would go over there and I would pick up, like, I had a boxing guide by Jack Dempsey. And then I had another one, like a basic boxing guide, like a pictorial. Where they would, they would like, show you the picture and then you would try to uh, mimic the form. And I, I would practice, like, my one-two, my left-right, my left-right uppercut. And I would practice, like, the right ways to, like, pivot your your body on the punches and stuff. And I, I was into it. That was... That was something that honestly has stuck with me a bit. I don't do, like, any kind of boxing training now. But up until just a little while ago, I had a heavy bag hanging in the garage on the Earth Base. And I would go over there and, like, pepper it with punches. But uh, eventually, I'd had it up there for years. And then one day, I was, like, I was, like, punching on it. And it just, it fell. 
It fell right off the hook. It fell in my direction. I was able to sidestep it because it, it's heavy. A heavy bag is a heavy thing. It's right in the in the name of the thing. And I, I was able to dodge it and hit, hit the ground with like a heck of a thump. The garage is attached to the office of the Earth base. And this thing thumped so hard that some of my action figures fell over. Some that were on a, a, a shelf that is near that side of the uh, the garage side. They they fell over. Don't don't get it twisted. These were ones that are prone, prone to falling. But nevertheless, it was a it was quite a thump, and I I never bothered to put it back up. I took it out in, in the side yard, and I it's leaning against the fence. It makes me feel kind of sad to see it when I look back and I think about the days that I would be in the side yard doing the box. Now I just I kind of I kind of pass through there and look at my uh, punching bag. I I did stick with the boxing training on and off in the backyard for for quite a while. At one point, I actually inquired about joining a boxing club. This dude was putting flyers up all over Santa Rosa, and I saw one, and I I decided I would give the dude a call. And he was he was cool. I I can't remember the name of the guy. I think the gym is called Double Punch. I'm not sure, but I, I called the guy at the Double Punch and I talked to him and he seemed really cool and he, he was willing to like let me come in and do some stuff and learn the ropes and whatever. But my my folks would not sign off on me doing any kind of amateur boxing training, which I, I as a parent, I 100,000% understand. But at the time, I was, I was a bit annoyed. I, I'm not saying like I was going to step into the golden gloves or anything, but I did think it would be cool to like go over there and go in the ring and have an actual... Like boxing coach who knew a little bit about what he was doing instead of just trying to learn from like these uh these training guides that I that I had. I suppose if I would have caused a stink, I think if I would have really caused a stink about it, that I I probably could have got him to do it, but they wouldn't have been supportive, and it wasn't something that I, I did really want to cause a stink. I I probably used them saying no as a way to wuss out. Like then I didn't actually have to do it. It was all. It was all out of my hands. We've we've been there, each and every one of us. You you get something that that you think you want, and then you start getting it, but then like some way out of it appears, and you're you're just more than happy to take the the out. And I think I think that's what was uh, going on. But like I said, I kind of I kind of still stuck with it in, in in the backyard, and this this continued on into into high school. And boxing was still like a popular sport at that time. And this this homeboy of mine, uh, dude who goes by the name of Slug Nutty, were we're still friends. He works for the uh, phone company. I see him. I see him all the time. He he decided that he wanted to uh, he wanted to do some backyard boxing, and he bought a couple headgears and a couple boxing gloves. And he he started he started running like a small backyard boxing promotion where I was involved. A couple of other dudes he knew were involved, and he also did some boxing. When when things like this appear. You really find out, like, who is willing to go in there and box a little bit and who's just, like, not even willing to uh, to put it on the line. I, myself, I'm not a great boxer. I'm not a tough guy by any means. I am absolutely far from it. But I, I'm not afraid to go do uh, a bit of backyard amateur boxing. It's not like it's a big deal. There's no, there's no Nigel Ben. There's no Pinklin Thomas. There's no any of these guys. It's not like someone's going to punch you and your head's going to fly off. You're not made of glass. Nobody, nobody really knows how to throw a good punch. It's all just kind of going out there, doing some weak swinging for a little bit, and then yeah, you run out of energy. So I, I wasn't afraid to step into the backyard boxing ring from time to time. I had, I had a bit of success in that I, I just, I stuck with the fundamentals 
lot of jabbing. I would play defense. I don't want to get punched, so I would really, like, make sure to always keep my hands high. Here's here's one of the things you learn in this boxing guide. Always keep your hands up, obviously, but always, always, always keep your left hand up in front of your face because your left hand is going to protect you from the uh, the powerhouse right-handed punches of a, uh, of a righty. If you're fighting a lefty, of course you reverse this, but more often than not, you're going to be fighting a righty. So keep your left hand up, circle to the right. You uh, circle away from the power hand. And just in doing that, just keeping my hands up, keeping moving, throwing some jabs, I was able to have uh, a moderate bit of success in the Backyard Boxing League. I, I didn't pack the kind of power to put guys out, and everybody wanted to have that. They'd go there, they'd swing like crazy. They all thought they were the backyard Mike Tyson. They all thought they were the backyard Razor Ruddick. And they would go out there, and they would swing like crazy. They would swing like crazy. And, and in doing that, you run out of energy fast. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that. You run out of energy fast if you're not ready for it. I'm not ready for it. I could probably throw three or four punches, and then I'll be, I'll be laying on the ground. And these guys, these guys would be in similar shape. So I was able to win fights just by, just by keeping my hands up. Just by keeping my hands up and moving a little bit. Backyard boxing was, was, was kind of wild. I remember my dude Slugnut. He had a lot of like hip hop style friends, like hip hop and dudes, rapper type of, type of fellas. And they would, they would come to the backyard. And they would want to mix it up wearing, like, their rope chains. they take off their uh, Adidas top, fighting the Adidas bottoms with like, a, with, like, a beanie hat and a rope chain just out there throwing, like, crazy punches at each other. That was, that was a good time. I, I think uh, a little boxing, a bit of roughhousing is, is good for you. It gets, you. gets you used to the idea of throwing a punch and also of accepting a punch. It's important to, uh... To have taken a few punches upside the head in your in your life, just so that in case it ever it like ever happens when you're out there in the real world, you don't want it to be the first time that you've ever uh, had some knuckles upside your upside your cheek. It's it's important, and the backyard boxing um, fulfilled that requirement in a in a lot of ways. It it taught me that I wasn't made out of glass. That was uh, another thing until until you start like getting the uh, chance to mix it up, and you kind of. You kind of think you're made of glass. That if somebody hits you, you're just gonna fall apart, like you're like you're Sam Jackson in a uh, in Glass, the movie Glass. I keep saying it, but it's it is what it is. You you have to learn it, and the only way that you you learn that is through firsthand knowledge. You got to go out there and you gotta you gotta accept that wall up. You gotta know that when you get a hit, your head's not gonna fly off your shoulders. And this was this was something that I, I did kind of learn later in life. I always I always sort of thought that if I if I was going to go out there and, like, take on one of these bullies or whatever that was giving me trouble, if I caught a punch in the face, I always thought I was going to get destroyed. But in the uh, in the world of backyard boxing, I discovered that wasn't true at all. Not like I'm, I'm not, uh, I'm not Joe Bugner, you know, I don't got an iron jaw or anything, but I, I did accept a few big right hands without having my head spin all the way around. I'm trying to think what year this was. I think it was junior year, not senior year, because my dude Slugnut and his hip-hop homeboys were a year ahead of me. He got out of, he got out of school before I did, and he was still there, so it had to be, had to be junior year, if not a sophomore year. At, at any rate, I, I hung around the backyard boxing circuit for a while, but eventually that kind of, that kind of fell apart as things do. I think we moved on to basketball, if I'm remembering correctly, my dude Slugnut lived in a court, and they had a they had a basketball hoop that everybody in the court would they would share, and I think that that's what we we moved on to doing. We moved on to to hooping and stuff. I I maintained as a boxing fan 
for a while. This was back during the heyday of HBO boxing, and they had, like, Sweet Pea Whitaker and Marlon Starling and Meldrick Taylor, Julio Cesar Chavez, Iron Mike, of course, and I I maintained on that for a while, but they... They eventually, the the dudes that I like, they all started to move on. They retired, they lost, and whatnot. And it's hard to it's hard to build up new stars. That's kind of how it works in a individual sport, like boxing or like wrestling. You got to keep maintaining by by putting new stars out there that people connect with. And boxing wasn't able to do that for me at the time. I I also kind of fell out of of wrestling. Like watching wrestling for a while. This is back when I when I got into like hip hop and stuff. I was I was spending all my time down at the last record store. I was spending all my time at Amoeba Records, digging through the crates, trying to find funky loops that dudes had never never heard before. As if, but uh, that's what I was up to. And I, I you know fell out of boxing. I fell out of wrestling. And it wasn't until many 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 years later that I that I got back into martial arts. And this time I got back into it in a much 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 bigger way than before. But the thing that got me into this. The thing that drew me back into the world of martial arts was an event on pay-per-view known as the Ultimate Fighting Championship. Eight of the deadliest fighters in the world will meet in a no-holds-barred combat to determine who is the Ultimate Fighting Champion. Be forewarned, there are no rules, no judges' scores, and no time limits. Testing themselves in bare-knuckle combat this evening, you'll witness eight street-tough warriors wage combat in a battle where anything can happen, and probably will. Do you remember those channels they had on cable that would show highlights and previews of upcoming wrestling and, like, boxing pay-per-views? I used to watch those. Like, all the time. I don't know. They might still have them now. I have all the, I have all the pay-per-view channels blocked out on my, uh, cable guide, so I don't, I don't have to scroll past them, but I, I used to watch these all the time. I would kinda, I would kinda leave them on, on a loop in the background of, um, the house sometimes when I was, when I was doing stuff. I was, I was wrestling obsessed. I've already, I've already talked about this. I was, I was, like, all in on wrestling, so I, I was watching one of those one day, I don't remember what it was for. I don't remember what the event was going to be. It may have been a boxing. It may have been a wrestling. It may have been uh, Travis Pastrana jumping across the Grand Canyon. This was this was a period of time in which I was working. Like, I had a job. I was at the theater. But I was also still living at home. So I had I had what I felt like, to me, was a lot of money. It wasn't. It wasn't hardly anything. But at the time, it felt like I had a lot of money and... I was, I was ordering, like, pay-per-views galore. This was, this was, like, kind of the heyday of pay-per-view. There were, like, concerts. There was, like, wrestling. There was boxing. There was all kinds of crazy, wacky stuff going on. And I was ordering movies. I was ordering, like, Howard Stern events. I was ordering whatever, dude. Because I, I felt like I was just, I was like, I was like Tiddy Biazzi. I was like the Million Dollar Man, right? I was probably making, like, four dollars. An hour working like fifteen hours at the uh, at the theater, but um, at the time it felt it felt great. So I was I was like perusing for upcoming pay per view events when this uh when this thing called the Ultimate Fighting Championship went by, and they had some highlights with like dudes punching each other, what looked like for real, like right in the face. But I'm just like, that can't be for real. What is this? I I had recently ordered another pay per view. 
from Japan. It was an event that um, claimed to be real. It claimed that it was going to be like the real life fighting championships or whatever. And they had all these dudes who seemed like amateur wrestlers and karate guys and all this stuff. And I, I thought it was really great and I ordered it. But then when I, when I, when I got it and I watched it, it was, it was really just professional wrestling from overseas, but with a more, with a more like realistic bent. I liked it. I thought it was cool, but it wasn't, it wasn't, um, you know, real fighting. It was, it was wrestling. But I, I also thought that when I saw this UFC, that this must be like the same thing. It must be something, something like that with a harder style. Like where dudes are really maybe like hitting each other a bit more than they do in WCW. But I didn't, I didn't think it was real. I didn't think that it was like full on fighting, but I, I ordered it anyway. I was intrigued. I was interested. Like I said, I was Johnny Megabucks, dude. I was the big man with all the money from the movie theater. So I would, I would order just like whatever. So I... I put in the order for that, and I remember, I remember talking about it at the theater, probably probably with, like, Gino Vega telling about this weird thing that I was going to watch and whatever, and I I didn't really, like, I, I don't know, I didn't think, like, a ton about it, not to the point where I would, like, where I would, like, invite someone over to watch it or whatever. I just, I just had it on when I was at home. So I, I went home the day of the thing, and I watched it, and I was, like, immediately thinking, I think this is real. Because, like, the dudes ran out, and they were really, really wailing on each other. Like, they were, like, punching and kicking, and they were kicking each other in the groin. And they were head-butting and elbowing. And it was, it was bananas. I remember at the time, we were, we were all living in, like, a big house with, like, my grandparents. And my grandparents had, um, my cousins. My two cousins from Australia were living with them down there. They were visiting the U.S. for, like, an extended period of time. They were all living together, and I I ran down. I'm like, dude, you gotta see this. This is the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life. These guys are beating the heck out of each other. So my cousin came up, and he watched it with me, and we were like, this is bananas. Dudes were, like, slamming each other on the ground. They were fighting in a cage. There was there was blood. There was punching. There was kicking. It was It was, like, the greatest thing I'd ever seen in my life. It was like when you've waited your whole entire life to see something. And then there it is, right in front of you. I had always, in my whole life, wanted to know what was better, like a boxer or a wrestler? What was better, karate or kung fu or whatever? And there it was, like right in front of my face. I was like, I was in love. This was a younger me. Now, I don't so much like the violence. I don't really watch the MMA that much nowadays. Once in a while, I'll, I'll watch like a little bit, like a highlights or whatever or something. If something big is happening, I might check it out, but I don't I don't watch it as much as I used to for sure. The violence, the violence isn't like my preferred form of entertainment. But at the time, man, I was I was like a younger testosterone packed icy robots, and I was just geeked on watching these dudes like punch and kick and fight and do all this cool stuff. It was the neatest thing I had ever seen in my life, and I got into it like super duper duper heavy. Besides the uh UFC. There were, like, all these other groups out there. This was, like, a whole new world to me. Like, my eyes were opened up at the time. And I was just, like, I fell into it full full force. I, I even started buying, like, rando tapes off dudes on the internet. This is, like, early in the day, you know? This was, like, there was no YouTube. There was no way to, like, share videos or whatever. If you wanted to see something, you had to, like, straight up get a VHS. And one day, one day I was checking my emails right? And I, I don't know how this came to be in my AOL box 
mailbox, but uh, there was a list from this guy named Jorge of like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of like different um, no holds barred. That's what it was called at the time. NHB or in, in uh, Brazil it was called like Vale Tudo, but there was like a list of all these events. And I started, I started buying things from, from this guy, Jorge. I think that they were like $8 with like $2 shipping. And this was even before like PayPal. So you had to like send homeboy a check, right? Or money order. So this would, this would take like forever. I remember like sending like a couple bucks to Jorge to order like three tapes and you get them like, you get them like months later, but, but it was getting to the point where I was ordering so much from him and like other dudes like him that there was like stuff coming in all the time. And I was just like, I was like watching these tapes like all the time when I wasn't at the theater. It was, it was my jam, dude. I was into this as much as, as wrestling at the first. I was just watching all these all these wacky events from like the Midwest, all these wacky events from Japan. This was this was fun. I, I really look back at this time with a lot of a lot of fondness because I was just I was so into exploring this all new universe that I discovered. I was into it like crazy. I I remember taking the uh the tape of the first UFC that I had to the um, movie theater when I was working at the theater because one of the dudes there wanted wanted to borrow it. It wasn't Gino Vega. It was this guy who was like a supervisor at the time. He wanted to check it out. So I loaned it to him. And then like this other guy wanted to borrow it. He heard it from the first guy of like how cool it was and how crazy it was. And he wanted to borrow it. So dude, dude borrowed it. Then like another guy borrowed it and another guy borrowed it. And I remember like, and then it started going around the theater a little bit like this like this no holds barred favor and i remember one day there was this guy he was he was a candy guy bigger guy he had a beard he was he was okay i can't remember homeboy's name he was not one of the not one of like the key players of like the broom tank clan or anything of that sort just like some some random candy boy and uh he was telling me how he uh he had a black belt in Taekwondo, right? Homeboy's telling me like, I, I studied down over at the dojo and I've been working for years and I, I can throw like jumping spin kicks and all this crazy stuff. And we decided we were going to have like a, uh, what you would call like a light sparring, like UFC fight in the lobby. This was one night. It was like, like a Wednesday night or a Tuesday night. One of those, one of those periods when it's like really slow. When you work at the movie theater, there are these periods where all the movies are in at the same time and they're all playing that's kind of that's kind of how they kick it off you know schedule wise and during these times you just sort of like you're standing in the lobby you're walking around the lobby you're sweeping up and stuff it's not it's not like it's always super busy there's a lot of standing around and and during one of these standing around periods we decided let's have ourselves a slap fight like a UFC slap fight and we we started like going at each other and we're just like throwing punches and we're both we're both like super weak Right. Neither of us like have any fighting ability at all. I do not know about this guy's supposed black belt, but he's he's throwing like he's throwing slaps and I'm throwing slaps. And then I I decided I was going to go for like a takedown. So I kind of I kind of came in. I probably looked like Frankenstein. Like I'm just walking with my my arms forward. I'm, I think in my mind, I'm like shooting in low, right? Like a low tackle. But I'm, I'm probably upright walking with my arms out. And I walked and I got I got through dude slaps. You, could, you should see me right now. I'm moving my arms all over the place. I got through. I got through homeboy slaps and I was able to get my hands around his waist. And at the moment, my hands went around his waist. He's like, tap out, tap out, tap out. He kept saying it. He wasn't doing like the tap out. Like in, in, in Ultimate Fighting, when you give up, you you tap on the guy. And it's called it's called tapping out. I'm sure you know that, but I'm, I'm just saying it for those those who may not. And dude's like, I'm tapping, I'm tapping out, I'm tapping out. So so right then and there, I 
I became like an undefeated, no holds barred fighter, right? <laughs> at least, at least in my mind, you know. And I, I started to get like even heavier into it. And I had a couple other uh, lobby UFC fights at the time. I've thought about this. This is something I look back and I've tried to think about. And I don't. I think that this may have been after Gino Vega left the theater. He. He resigned. He's moved on to other things in life, amazing successes. And I, I hung around like a loser at the theater for like a couple couple more periods of time. I don't remember exactly how long, but I was there for a while after after he left. And I think that I think that this period of like mixed martial arts may have actually been after Gino Vega was gone. I I know not because when I when I when I look back and I try to try to remember who was there. I can remember certain people. I remember this guy Ben. I remember this guy other dude. And then I remember these gals, this gal named Amy. And I remember just these people. But I can't I can't seem to find like where his place was at this time. Because I know that we were like full on broom tanging it. At that point we were at work like all the time together. And I'm thinking this must have been after he was gone. But anyway, none of this mattered to any of you guys in any way. And this kind of like lobby MMA went on for a, a, a bit of time. And then they hired this gal named Kathy at the at, at the movie theater. Kathy had the distinction of being the first the first female to compete in high school wrestling in in Santa Rosa. She's she's a great gal. I'm in contact with her today. She's awesome. They they hired her to be like a fellow usher. And, and one day she saw me. Me, like, tangling with somebody in the lobby a little bit. Probably just, like, slap fighting. I, I swear, this was going on, like, like all the time. But uh, she she saw me doing that, and she's like, hey, I want to get some. And I'm like, yeah, you know, awesome. Um, Let's 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 do it. I, I have no problem, like, like play fighting with a girl. Especially a girl who's on a high school wrestling team. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's all good in the hood. And, and we, uh, we kind of faced off, you know, and I had my hands up, like, uh, like boxing style, like I was Tommy Hitman Hearns, you know, I fashioned myself to be like, to be like quite a striker, but, um, I, I still to this day don't even know what happened because she, she came in, threw me on the ground. She took me down in some manner with like absolute ease. I'm not even kidding. It was, it was like effortless. I, I fell right down onto my back and I'm looking up at her like, what just happened? So we, we did it again and this time around... She threw me on the ground, and she got me in some kind of a weird arm lock, like a, uh, like a Kimura. Look it up. But, um, she, she put me away quickly, and I'm just like, Kathy, what are you doing? I'm like, that's, that's crazy. I gotta point out that I must outweigh Gal by, like, 100 pounds, at least. More like 120 pounds. She's very small. She's very slight. She wrestled in the, uh, lower weight men's division, and she put me away like nothing. And she's like, hey, you know, I I train submission style during the week after after wrestling class. And I'm like, what do you mean? You train like submission wrestling? Like like here in Santa Rosa? She's like, no. Over um over in Ronard Park. And you gotta remember, this is like very, very early in the game. There weren't like Brazilian jiu-jitsu dojos like all over the place. There weren't like Gracie schools all over the place. There was one in like San Francisco. And then there was, like, one in, like, Sacramento. And that's, like, hours from where, I, where I'm at. I looked it up in the uh, in the phone book. This was, like, pre-internet, even. There was, like, a little internet. But it was, like, it was, like, dial-up internet. But I I was, like, what do you mean you train in Rotor Park? And she's, like, yeah, my um my wrestling coach, the, the wrestling coach at the high school, a guy named Jody, is also a, uh, 
He's a black belt in Sambo. Sambo is this Russian fighting style. It's very similar to Judo, but it allows like punches and kicks and some some sorts of submission holds that are illegal in competition Judo. Stuff like stuff like leg locks and things. Judo is an amazing style, but they, they keep it safe to a degree because it's a sport. Sambo is also a sport, but it's also it's also the official fighting style. Of the Russian military or whatever. That's what that's what they say. I had known Sambo because his homeboy um, Oleg Taktorov had fought in the UFC and he'd beaten a lot of guys with this Sambo style. It seemed really dope. It seemed really mysterious, and I couldn't believe that it was being taught over in Ronard Park, and that I had never, not never, heard about this in my life. And she's she's telling me that yeah, home, homeboy Jody is an amazing wrestler, and that he was like an alternate. On the 1980 Olympic team, that's the one that um, boycotted the Olympics when they were in Russia. So he was an alternate on the team that didn't go. So that's like, that's like doubly disappointing. But she's like, yeah, Jody gives lessons every Monday and Wednesday at the Ronard Park Community Center. She's like, you should come. She's like, you might have fun. I I see that you think this stuff's kind of cool and we're, we're looking for new dudes. And I, I was like. I'm in. I am going to come down and I'm going to check this out. I had never done any sort of like official martial arts in my life. The whole thing seemed very mysterious, very scary. And I, I wasn't, I wasn't the type of like the best follow through. Like I might think I, I might go do some karate, but I wouldn't actually like call the dojo. And that stuff was like crazy, crazy expensive. When I was younger, my, my folks didn't have like, they didn't have like oodles of money. So high price after school activities like karate or taekwondo were on the out. So even if I even if I was one of the uh the like the follow through type of guys, it never it never would have happened. So I was really kind of stepping out of my comfort zone to do this. But I I was into it. I was I was really into it and I couldn't I couldn't wait for the um the next Monday to arrive and I could head down to uh head down to Runner Park and check it out. I, I was geeked, man. This was gonna be like the coolest thing like I'd ever done in my life. I'm just like, I'm gonna be like so tough. I'm gonna be like a UFC fighter. It's gonna be great. We'll talk about it in a sec. In an acronym that translates as self-defense without weapons, Sambo is an amalgamation of fighting styles. It employs everything from karate-style kicks and judo-style takedowns to the bone-jarring folk wrestling of the Russian steppes. One of Sambo's most effective kicks is the side kick. You can explode your striking leg out like a piston and into one of the most vulnerable regions of an opponent's body, the rib cage. One of Sambo's best submission holds is the calf crush. To execute the calf crush, a fighter wheels in in front of his opponent, threads his leg through and across the back of his adversary's knee. Sambo's most agile move is the scissor takedown. It begins by hooking your arm under your opponent's and clamping down on his sleeve for control to drive his body to the mat like a child tossing around a ragdoll. The sidekick, the calf crush, the scissor takedown, and the hip throw. These are five essential moves of a Sambo human weapon. I can still remember the day that I began my journey into the world of martial arts. I, I met Kathy over at the uh, Rotor Park Community Center on a Monday. I remember it was a Monday at the time we had classes on Monday, and then we also had classes on Wednesday, later Friday, and eventually Saturday as well. But at this time, it was just Monday and Wednesday. She she made the introduction to the sensei to her wrestling coach. This was a this was a guy who goes by the name of Jody, and Jody was. 
This is what struck me initially, like right off the jump. Jody was a very small, a very slight man. And this is not, this is not to take away from the man in any way. He's an amazing human being, great guy, all-time champion level dude. But I, I noticed he was like five foot two and maybe like 100, 120, 30 pounds. Very, very small, very slender. But he had like, he had muscles, like rope-like muscles. He was like a human... He was like a human rope, and he was wearing this, this thick, uh, what I later learned was a Sambo jacket. It's thick around, it's like a judo jacket, but it's, it's really thick around the, uh, lapels and the shoulders. It was, it was blue, as I recall. He had a blue one, and he had a red one. I think he was wearing the blue one at the time, but dude was really great, really nice, really positive guy, happy to meet me, happy... Happy to have me sit and watch the class for a while. And then he's like, if you, if you feel like jumping in, you know, just do, do the jump in thing. Just jump in at any time. You're, you're completely welcome. Dude was really, really nice. I was, I was like a bit nervous at the start. I mean, completely nervous to, to be honest. I, I wasn't the type to do things like in, in like a group situation like this, but I, I wanted to learn the style. I wanted to learn the art. I was crazy into a, into UFC at the time and I, I took a chair over in the corner and the first thing they did was they they did like a like a bowin ceremony. They did these maneuvers with their hands like a like a hand sort of I don't know what you would call it. They moved their hands like in a certain pattern while saying words and this was like your your bowin to the beginning of the class. They did that and then they they went through some stretches and some exercises and stuff before going into a what I would call like a self-defense lesson like he was he was showing up something I don't remember exactly what it was but it would be something akin to like how to how to disarm an opponent if they come at you with a knife or how to how to handle if somebody throws like an overhand right at you like what would be what would be like the counter to that and and I I saw the class and there were like a few dudes who looked like they were were like moderately athletic there weren't any like super standout jocks the only guy who I would call at the time like a super standout jock was the uh the senpai the guy who was the senpai for the class. That's the that's the top student. His his son named Jay. Jay was just like Jody. He was a little bit taller, but he was also like made out of ropes. Dude was like in amazing shape and the they really stood out in that sense. The class was made up of like a few older people. There were even like a few older ladies. There were like a couple guys my age. Just all like really normal looking people. This is what I learned in my time in the world of martial arts. Really tough, like super tough people, by and large, don't do martial arts. They're out there doing tough guy things, like beating people up, being in biker gangs, being in jail, stuff like that. The the kind of people that go to martial arts classes are, for the most part, just like nice, normal people who maybe want to feel like they can defend themselves a little bit better than they do right now. That's all. Maybe somebody who had a scare... Maybe somebody who got picked on and just wants to feel like they could bust some heads if they have to. Normal, normal people like you and me. And I, I began to notice this like immediately. So I, I, I took my chance when I saw them like do a break in, in, in the lesson. And I, you know, I, I jumped in and I, before I know it, I was like doing blocks and doing kicks and doing stuff. And it was all, it was all pretty fun. I was really, really digging it. But then... Then we kind of took it up a notch and he, he opened it up to like sort of like a free sparring kind of thing. Like 
if you wanted to, you could spar around. If you wanted to, you could like practice on the bag. This was like, this was like open time. This is the period in which if you wanted to grapple, like if you wanted to mix it up with somebody, you could mix it up. Jody was big on like actual real competition, which is something, something I agree with. A lot of times in martial arts, you don't really do like, I don't want to say like complete 100% contact sparring, but you have to do to some degree some kind of like open sparring just to see if like what you're doing actually makes sense. And this is this is the period of time in which we would do that. And I I was invited onto the sparring mat and he's like, "Hey, let me let me show you some moves." Jody's like, "Let me just like show you a couple things and give you like an idea of like the sort of stuff that we do here." And I I was with it. I wanted to see and dude got me down on the ground and he did some wrestling on me and he's just like He's gently destroying me. Like, he's destroying me. Like, I'm I'm battling back to the best of my ability. He's just like, you know, do whatever you want. You battle back. I'm battling back to the best of my ability. And dude is like, he's guiding me around. Like, he's he's moving me where he wants to move me. He's doing whatever he wants to me. It's just like, I am being schooled in a way I have never been, like, physically manhandled in my life. And I was a dude who had a problem with bullies. I had a lot of, a lot of bully issues at the time of uh, earlier days of my life. And this dude's handling me like nothing. Like, it's nothing. He's getting me in headlocks, making me tap out, getting me in arm things, making me tap out. All really gently. All really gently. He's not bullying me. He's just, he's showing me the different things I could conceivably do if I signed up with the Sambo Posse, the full circle Sambo Posse, and got down with what he was, uh, what he was going to show us all. I said, yeah, I like your window on my jacket. I don't need my jacket. I put, he's already tapping and I haven't gone all the way back yet. Again, this works because I put all my weight. He's holding me up. So if he's not expecting it, he has to, the only way to stop me is to literally get me up off the ground. Because all my weight is hanging so that was, uh, that was actually Jody right there. That was Homeboy talking off, at a, off a clip. That, that that I found, but that's basically what it was like. People were punching the bag in the back while he was giving me instructions while also also tapping me out. I was, I was in it, man. I was into it. The minute he kept making me tap, the minute he was doing all these mysterious moves, I was in it. And I, I came back the next Wednesday and signed up uh, officially. I believe it was only like, it was only like $40 a month. It wasn't very, very much at all. And I... I started going regularly from, like, that point on. The The amount of exercise and the amount of sparring and the amount of crazy stuff that I was doing put me into, like, the best shape that I had ever been into. We, we like, heavily stressed the idea of, like, physical fitness. He was like, I want you guys all to compete in, like, you know, sparring and, like, exhibitions and, like, whatever. And I think that, I think that our, our, our most, like, open, clear path to success would be if we just, like, outfitnessed everybody. So he had us doing, like, so many different variations of, like, sit-ups and push-ups and just, like, all kinds of weird things that I had never, not never, like, ever done in my life. Just crazy stuff. We're running. We're doing handstands. We're doing cartwheels. We were we were trying to do, like, handstand push-ups. I never, not never, never even came close. Your boy can't even do, like, a handstand to be honest, and even, like, back then, it wasn't, like, something that I, that I did with ease, but we were doing, like, tumble rolls, back falls, all kinds of crazy stuff. It was, it was, like, so much fun. It was amazing. The people in the class were great. There was all kinds of, like, all kinds of, like, neat characters. There was a guy, Anthony, who was, like, a brown belt. He was, like, the top student. He wasn't the senpai who's, like, 
the top student. He's like right under the teacher. This was like a student who hadn't made it up to like teaching level. He was the only brown belt in the class. He was a member. His wife was a member. Even his son, Christopher, was a member of the uh, Full Circle Posse. There was this guy, Doc, who was a chiropractor there in Rona Park. And this guy was like super wide. Just like incredibly wide. Like, like, like a fridge, like a refrigerator. He had white hair. He didn't wear a t-shirt under his gi. I always did because I knew I'd be sparring with dudes and I didn't want to like sweat up in their face. But homeboy Doc never wore like a t-shirt and I I didn't like to spar with him. It's not like bad manners to not wear a t-shirt. I just didn't want to have like people like pushed into my chest. Homeboy did not have that kind of issues. He was cool, pretty grumpy. There was Jay, the senpai who I was talking about earlier. He's like a really nice, but like he was pretty cocky. I wouldn't say, like, cocky in, like, a super bad way, but he knew that he could, like, do jump kicks and that he could do, like, backflips and he could make dudes tap out and that he knew all these things led to him being just like, you know what, I'm a cool guy. I'm a great guy. I'm dope. I'm Jay. I'm Jay the Senpai. I liked him. He and I did get along. Not as well as, like, me and Jody got along. I got along pretty pretty well with Jody. I wouldn't say, like, famously, but definitely good enough. He's definitely somebody that I would have considered, like, a mentor and a friend. He taught me a lot about, like, fighting and about, like, physical fitness and just, just, like, life in general. Dude had been around the world with the Olympic team, with, like, these various, like, world Greco-Roman wrestling teams and, like, all these things that he'd done in his life. He really, he imparted the wisdom onto us. I dug it. It was great. I, I liked having this guy's mentorship. Aside from, uh, Jody and Jay, the, the Full Circle team was kind of a collective of a bunch of other dudes at points. There were a few other senseis on, on the side. The the ones that I remember the most were Sensei Bill. Sensei Bill was an Aikido master. He would do like combat style Aikido. He always said that it was like, it was like Steven Seagal, if Steven Seagal were real. This guy, Sensei Bill was, he's kind of a big sort of stocky guy, bald headed, white beard, very much what you would expect in the in the appearance of an Aikido sensei, but but Homeboy worked as a bounty hunter. He would come to our class and he'd be in the class for a while, and then he would disappear for like he would be gone for like weeks at a time on like various bounty hunter missions. I talked to people, and from what I can understand, this was like an actual factual real deal. He wasn't like a dude who was saying it, he was actually doing it. I don't know. I never went with him to catch a bounty or anything, but but guy was really great. Aside from Akito, he was also a master of Arnis, which is this uh it's like a like a Filipino stick fighting style. He would tell us that like in the world of Arnis, you use your sticks, you use one in each hand, kind of like how Daredevil would do sometimes on um the TV show. You have one in each hand, but the idea is in real life. If you were like in real life using your Arnie's, you would have you would have machetes in your hands and you'd be like chopping people uh to shreds with them. It was it was pretty neat. There was also a guy named um Sensei Brian and Sensei Brian was also an Aikido guy. He was cool, nice guy. He used to always tell people that he at one point was accepted to fight in the uh, Ultimate Fighting Championships, but then he found out that he was he was going to be matched up against Ken Shamrock, so he he pulled out because he realized he was he was going to be the jobber. I I don't know the uh, validity of this story. Again, there's a lot of hyperbole in the world of martial arts instructions. Everybody everybody has some kind of story, and until I see like until I see like verifiable proof, I I don't believe it. Like Jody was on the Olympic wrestling team at one point, and this sounds like another hyperbolic statement, but I. 
I saw pictures of him with the Olympic team, like the team photos. He had like all sorts of like Olympic team memorabilia. He had like world champion medals and all this stuff. So I do think that uh, Sensei Jody was the real deal. And even if he wasn't the real deal, he could still fight like a fight like a mug. So it's all good in the hood. The the classes were all so much fun. There were so many different people there and there were so many different things to learn from all these different people that like my confidence started going through the roof. I, I at first was, I was a bit hesitant when we would do like the sparring sessions, not hesitant to participate because I'm not, I'm not like super afraid of contact. I'm not by any means a risk taker, but I'm not afraid to like wrestle or mix it up or like have fun in that way. I know I'm not just going to like fall to pieces if, if anything happens, but I, I was hesitant at first as far as my aggression. And this had, this had a lot to do with like not knowing any, any, any kind of like actual fighting moves. I, I, at first, when we were, were doing the sparring fight at first, I, I would try to mix in like professional wrestling moves because these were like, these were like the only moves that I knew. I didn't know anything. So I would try to give guys scoop slams. I would try to give guys like vertical suplexes. I remember during one sparring match, I gave this guy who was much smaller than me a backbreaker, which is where you lift the guy up like you're going to do a body slam, but instead you, you bring him down on your knee. I didn't do it with like any kind of impact. I just brought him down and threw him on the ground, but I, I didn't know what to do. So I was doing all these, all these wacky things, which was, which was kind of cool in a sense. I, w- I was representing real pro wrestling in the uh, world of shoot fighting, but, uh, it, it didn't last for long. That, that style of, of fighting didn't last for long. I, I started picking up like the, like the different submission holds and different things fairly quickly. I wasn't, it wasn't great by any means, but I do I do think that this this background that I had in backyard boxing and this background I had in like wrestling my brother and wrestling my friends like pro wrestling style. I do think that these things these things did to a degree aid me into picking it up quickly. I realized that like professional wrestling is silly and it's uh kind of outlandish in the style of fighting, but if you if you do sort of, like, examine it, like, in, in, in a critical sense, there are actually, like, a few things here and there that that you could use in, in real-life competitions like this. I mean, at its, at its, like, most simple form, professional wrestling is supposed to be, like, a simulation of combat. So there is, like, there is, like, a small bit you could pick up there. And I, I think that this did, this did help me get it. I never, I never, not never became, like, a top-notch like martial arts competitor or anything, but I did win like sparring matches. And I started, I started winning in the class sometimes, which was, which was pretty neat because I, I did have issues with bullies. This is the kind of things I've talked about in the past. I did get picked on sometimes and I, I wasn't like always the most forthcoming in, in physically defending myself. So it was, it was neat to be able to defeat dudes and get dudes like begging for mercy for me, which is kind of like what you're doing when somebody gets you in a hold, you're you're begging for the merce. And that was, that was fun. One of the the things that was kind of neat about the, the, the team sort of being like a collective was that dudes from other classes and other, other schools would from time to time drop in and spar with us. And Sensei Jody had, he had like pretty deep roots in the uh, North Bay wrestling community. So there were, there were like wrestler dudes, high school wrestlers, JC wrestlers and stuff coming down and working with us. And from time to time, there'd be like karate guys or like kickbox guys and like boxing guys even. And I would, you know, from time to time, beat somebody who had wrestled at in high school or who was a wrestler at the, the JC. It, it happened and it was shocking to me because these are the kind of people I would think would decimate me. But I was, 
I was getting him in guillotine chokes, making him tap out. I was getting him in arm locks and making him tap out. Now, don't get it twisted. They would often make me tap out. And the wrestlers would often get me down on the ground and hold me down. It wasn't like your homeboy was winning every fight. It was nothing, nothing like that at all. But I did, I did win from time to time. And every time I won, I, I, I felt better. I felt, I felt better about myself. And it was just like, it was a lot of fun to me. And over time, I, I started thinking maybe I would actually consider like competing in some matches. And this was something I talked to uh, Jody about. The team, the team was big on competition. They would compete in anything, like anything that was out there. If they could get the full circle name out, they would go and compete. They fought like point karate. They fought like kickboxing. They fought like amateur wrestling. They fought like sports, jujitsu, all kinds of different things. And I, I approached the sensei about doing this. And he thought that it was he thought that it was something that maybe could be possible if I, if I kind of worked at it. And I, I started trying to get myself in shape. I bought a weight bench and I started like running up and down stairs at the junior college and all these, all these crazy things in hopes of, uh, of getting in, into better shape. Let me tell you, let me tell you a story real quick. When, when we were training at the community center, there was this guy who, who started appearing and he, he was, like, observing our classes, which wasn't uncommon. People would come in and sit in and see what we were doing. It was a public place. People could, like, dip in. They might be considering joining. Any any number of reasons could lead to you coming down and um, checking out a class. But Homeboy started, like, he started appearing, and he started hanging out more and more and more. And over time, he, he started telling everybody that he was a member of Ken Shamrock's Lion's Den team, which is, which is like a big time fighting team at the time. Ken Shamrock is the, the most dangerous man in the world. He's fighting in the UFC. Eventually he was in the WWF. Dude is like the Pancrase champion. And he had a team full of just like the toughest dudes around. Everybody knew the Lion's Den was where all the toughest homeboys would, would uh, go. And dude started telling everybody how that's where, that's where he trained. And it didn't seem like this was the case to me because I don't I don't want to like physically shame somebody, but he was he was kind of a portly fella, didn't look very athletic, didn't look very tough, and I you can't always judge a book by its cover because there were lots of guys who were portly and they were they were tough as can be, but uh homeboy didn't look like somebody who'd be hanging out with Ken Shamrock. All the Ken Shamrock dudes you would see were like chiseled out of granite. That was that was one of the uh that was one of the signifiers of a Lions Den team member. Ken Shamrock himself is yoked and all his uh teammates were they were also yoked, but dude kept saying, Ken sent me down here to see what's going on because he's heard there's like mixed style fighting in Santa Rosa and he sent me down here to observe. And I I, I gotta admit, I did not buy this story at all. But dude would come week in and week out and he would sit there and he would talk about how he was sending reports back to Ken. Right? He's like, I'm gonna tell Ken what's going on here. Ken's really gonna Ken's really going to be interested. And we were all kind of like, yeah, you know, okay, whatever, dude. But one week he came in and he's like, okay, guys, Ken's given me permission to spar with one of you guys. He wants to see what you're all made of. And Sensei Jody picked me to spar with dude. He picked me to fight guy. He picked me to defend the dojo against the Lion's Den Interloper. So me and dude mix it up. And I don't I don't want to brag. I don't want to put anybody down. I'm not I'm not that kind of guy, but I, you know, I I handled him quite easily. It was like it was like dude had never done a martial arts in his life. Like he had done nothing. He'd not even like sparred with his brother. Like back in the day. I handled dude no problem, tapped him out, sent him back to uh sent him back to Ken Shamrock. I I do not think 
that dude was connected to Ken Shamrock in any way. The only way that I could ever see this being like any kind of a possible thing would be if dude was hanging around Ken Shamrock's dojo, like he was hanging around our dojo, and Ken Shamrock's like, hey, I want you to just, I want you to go to Santa Rosa, or Rona Park rather, and check this thing out, and come back and tell me. Come back in like six weeks, and tell me, just to, just to get him out of there, you know, because the homeboy, homeboy was like, was like a weird pest, and they didn't want to beat him up. They thought it was nicer to just make up a fake mission. This is the only way I could ever see Homeboy, like, in any way, be connected to the Lion's Den. But the fact that uh, Sensei Jody picked me to defend the dojo, and more than likely, it was because I was one of the bigger dudes in, 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 in on the Full Circle team, and that this guy was... He was bigger for the most part than a lot of the dudes he sparred with, so it was going to be up to me, just based on a based on size alone. But just due to the fact that he picked me, made me think that I... I could definitely start competing, and after a while, I actually did that. We'll be back in a second. Talk about that. Ultimate fighting. Need I say more? This is where the best of the best in martial arts go toe-to-toe in a brutal match to take out their opponent. Literally. And few have done it longer than Ken Shamrock. Welcome to the Lion's Den. The place where warriors are made. For more than 20 years, Ken Shamrock fought in the ring and out for fame, fortune, and respect. And after all the punches, kicks, and submissions, he's found a new reason to fight. I'm 42 years old, I've been blessed, and you know, this one, this next one is for the fans when I'm fighting, and it's gonna be for the fans. But not only is it for the fans, but it's gonna be for God. The fight that Ken is talking about is his third match against his rival, Tito Ortiz. After the uh, run-in with the supposed Ken Shamrock student, I moved on to the competition team. The way the way that it was sort of arranged over at Full Circle was there was like a self-defense class, which was which was just like everybody, pretty much. And then there was like an additional like competition team class, and this took place on it was every Saturday at a small converted chicken coop that was now being used as a as a dojo. The the place in Sebastopol was owned by uh, Sensei Brian, and he would let us work out there every Saturday morning. I think it was like it was like ten or eleven a.m., and it went on for like a few hours. I I really enjoyed this. It involved a lot of um, a lot of sparring, a lot of like competition techniques, which kind of differ from like self defense techniques. You you don't need to practice taking away a knife or a gun from somebody who's coming at you when you're. When you're getting ready to uh, take it to the mat. I also liked the emphasis on sparring. Because I kind of think, like, the way that you're going to get better is just, like, really working it as, as real as you can. There were, like, a couple, like, a few different ways that, that you would spar. You would do, like, grappling sparring, which is, which is like, wrestling on the ground, trying for submission holds. And, and the way that would work is you would sit down, like, back to back in general, and then you would, like, turn and fight each other, like, starting on your knees. Or sometimes you would start, like, standing up like wrestling and then you would like take it down to the match and grapple then there was like kickboxing practice where we'd like punch and kick and stuff you go like half speed like 60 percent speed you're not really trying to hurt anybody and then there was like full-on sports jiu-jitsu training that's like the main sport that we were like working on competing in sports jiu-jitsu which is like when you're standing it's like kickboxing. You're like boxing, punching, kicking, all that kind of stuff. I don't think that you could kick below the waist. I think it was only like head 
and body kicks. No kicks to like the legs or the knee, like in a like Muay Thai kickboxing or whatever. And the way that this differed from um, kickboxing was you could also like grapple and wrestle. The rules were once you made contact, like once you're holding on to each other, there was no more striking. You couldn't you couldn't do any kind of like infighting, like punching or elbows. It was all kickboxing when you're standing grappling once you're in uh in contact this was like this was like a pretty big deal at the time this was like as close as you were going to get to like amateur mixed martial arts the whole like amateur mixed martial arts world didn't really didn't really exist quite yet so this was like this was the nearest you were going to get to see if you were like ufc kind of kind of caliber sort of dude and i i fought in a few different competitions of doing this like i said a while ago the the whole deal at full circle was like competition he wanted us to compete in everything so i i ended up over over the years like doing um like karate i fought in like karate tournaments which is which is sort of like a a, a weird kind of deal usually in karate you do like point karate wherein all you have to do is make contact with the other guy and then you get a point and the first one to a three went it's sort of like the uh 1984 all valley karate tournament i I didn't like doing that very much, but I, I did do it. Every time you would compete in something, you would get a, you'd get a stripe, which was like a, it was like a piece of black PVC pipe that you could wrap around the end of your belt. And when you got like a certain amount of stripes, I think it was like five stripes, you were eligible to like move up a belt ranking or, or something. It was, it was something like that. I can't really, I can't really recall, um, but I, I did want those stripes. The more stripes you had on your belt, the cooler that you look. So we did... We did that, and we did exhibitions as well, which was something I did not like at all. In an exhibition, it was it was sort of like a... This is another thing. It's really akin to pro wrestling because you would use a move that they taught in your class with a willing participant. Like, you and a partner would work together to do some kind of a move. I didn't like this at all. I felt really silly doing this every time. I would flip somebody and they would go flying through the air or you punch somebody and they go flying through the air. It was all, it was all really goofy to me. I did want to do like bits during these exhibitions where somebody might get thrown through a table or somebody would get thrown through like a piece of a particle board or something like, like ECW style, but coach, uh, coach sensei would never really go go for that. So we did that. We did the karate. I did, I did like straight kickboxing like a couple times. Then we did the sports jujitsu. We did grappling. We would go all over the place. This was pretty fun. We went to like Sacramento. We went to Reno one time. That was a lot of fun. We went to Reno. We went to San Francisco and competed in things. I competed in a couple things at the Ronard Park uh, Community Center. Sensei Jody organized a few tournaments and we would compete in these tournaments and stuff. It was all, it was all a really good time in my life. I would win some I would lose some. I would say, like, overall, I was probably, like, 500. I would lose as many as I won. But I but I had a good time, and I, I never felt like I got, like, decimated. There were a couple times I got decimated, and I'll, I'll tell you about these later. For the most part, I felt like I like I held my own. They were pretty close. And I, I did, over time, beat some guys that I felt like I had no reason in the world to ever beat. So my, my confidence, like, my personal confidence was, like, at an all-time high at this point. Being on the team was really was really good for me, man. It was really healthy, really great outlet. One one time we um we took a uh, like a like a squad outing. The um the coach, Coach Jody, I would call him Coach. I always felt weird calling somebody Sensei, so I would often call him Coach um because he was like the coach at the high school. I hear I would hear other people call him Coach. He'd bring some of his homies from the uh, from the high school wrestling team to work out with us. And they would all call him Coach, and I, I felt more comfortable calling him Coach, to be honest. But um, we 
We took an outing to another place that he taught beside the community center. This guy was like, he was a workhorse. He would work everywhere or do anything. Dude was like, dude was a hustler. He was really like a hardworking guy. And he, uh, he hooked up this great gig at this place called the Olympic Club in San Francisco. This is, this is like a super highfalutin, like millionaire social club. This is like, I had never, not ever like, been inside of any place like this in my life, and I haven't been into, into anything like this even, like, even since. Honestly, the place was amazing. It was, like, it was, like, almost a whole block of San Francisco. It was enormous. This building was enormous. They had security. They had maitre d's. They had the whole everything. It was just so, so upper class. This was, like, where Mr. Peanut would go work out. There were people with monocles. There were people smoking pipes. It was bananas. The walls were like thick wood paneling. Just the whole thing. It was just like amazing. You, I can't even, I can't even explain. And um, Coach Jody would work out a, a bunch of guys over there. And he, he hooked it up so that we would be able to go and like hang out there for the day and work out. And then it even got better. He was able to get a member of the famous Gracie family to come down and do like a seminar for us. I don't know how this was arranged. I have no idea anything about that. Maybe one of the gazillionaires hired him, brought him in. I know not, but he was going to be there and he was going to work out with us. Half Gracie had, he had like real life competition experience. The guy had fought on pay-per-view and he'd beaten guys. He was undefeated. It was, it was amazing. The Gracie family if you do not know, are like the first family of mixed martial arts. Hoist Gracie was uh, the winner of like almost all the early UFCs. They were, they're world renowned. They are still world renowned. And the chance to uh, work out with one of these guys was a, was phenomenal. He took us through a bunch of exercises and a bunch of drills and he showed us some moves and he did whatever. And then at the end of the uh, session, we were going to get the opportunity to like work out with dude. We were going to get the chance to spar with this dude. And I was like, I need to do this. I need to do this. I got to find out like, like where I stand compared to like a professional level dude. A lot of the people in the class didn't want to grapple with him. They didn't want to spar with him. I could not pass up this. Uh, we took our grappling stance and uh, dude just like flopped to his back into like the Gracie guard position. He pulled me down on top of him with like his legs around my waist and he quickly transitioned into a triangle choke, choked me out with his legs. It was over in like, I don't know, 15 seconds, maybe 20 seconds at the most. You could, you could say it might've even been shorter. It was instantaneous. Once dude went down, he got a hold of me. He like pushed one leg out, one of my legs out with his leg while pulling down on me. And he just got me in this choke. It was horrible. It was embarrassing. I wasn't like embarrassed. That's the wrong way to put it because he defeated everybody with ease. But I went down with like particular ease. I went down like incredibly easy. Like I was down like I I, I was a jabroni. I was just like it, he handled me like a child. Like I was fighting like a nine year old right now, like a weak nine year old, not a tough one, a weak one. He handled me like that. It was it was wild. But at least at least I got the chance to, like, compete against a Gracie, albeit in, like, a sparring situation. Another instance that I recall was one of um, Jody's tournaments at the uh, Runner Park Community Center. There was, like, maybe, like, three or, like, four of these that I uh, that I remember. And at one of these, there, there were, like, all kinds of yahoos would show up for these things. Because they were kind of advertised as, like, 
It's like a mixed style competition and all sorts of like, like off the wall yahoos would show up. It was like you would see in a, uh, in which way but loose, like the, those Clint Eastwood movies or like, or just like a Bruce Lee movie. I don't know. I'm trying to think of something where there's like tons of different wacky fighters, but it was, it was very much like that with like boxing guys and like wrestling guys, guys in singlets, guys in, Guys in boxing trunks, guys in like kickboxing trunks with t-shirts, and at one of these, I, I, I was signed up to um to compete in the uh, in the sports jujitsu, which is like I said with the stand up and the grappling. They would also do like kickboxing and just like straight grappling, and a couple of these they even had just like straight like straight wrestling, like a uh, amateur high school style wrestling. But um, I I was all signed up to compete in the thing, and there was this one guy. Who um I'm not sure if you're aware of this this uh competitor who goes by the name of um Tank Abbott. I'm here with Tank Abbott and Tank you had two great fights in UFC six and then you fell a little bit short. Critics say you're brash, maybe overconfident, even arrogant. How do you respond to that? People that are losers call you cocky. I'm a winner, and if you're a winner, you're confident. You don't misconstrue those two words. You're either a winner and you're confident or you're a loser and you're cocky. Whatever you want to say about me, big deal. I know who I am, and you know who you are. I'm here, and you're not. Okay, Tank, we wish you the best of luck in your preparation. Hey, Jeff, the gold medalist wrestler, what else can you ask for? Wrestlers are the martial arts of America. Back to you, Bruce. Tank Abbott was like this big, heavy set, loud mouth, like biker tough guy with like a giant beard who he made, like, quite a sensation in the world of, like, the UFC. He was, like, the first dude who completely, like, 1,000% played it up like a heel. He had a big mouth. He was always talking junk. He, like, he, like, really seemed to relish the idea of a, um, like, a street fighter. And dude had, like, dude had, like, all kinds of guys around the country, like, emulating them. He, him. He was, he was, like, the hero for the guy who, like sat around the bar stool drinking beer, but felt like he could still knock everyone out there in the world. And there there was one of these acolytes at the uh, Runner Park Community Center. Guy guy had like a big beer belly. He was wearing like a white tank top and like gym shorts. And he had like the Tank Abbott UFC gloves. Tank was like, he was like the first guy also to wear gloves in the UFC. He somewhere he found like these these fingerless sparring gloves that were like really similar to the uh, gloves people wear nowadays. At the time, it was all it was all bare knuckle. But he introduced these kind of gloves to the uh, to the world. And a homeboy at the Roner Park um, Community Center had some of these on. He had like a beard. He had his head shaved, and he was going around the tournament like shoving dudes, pushing dudes, talking crazy junk. This was like this was like an absolutely one hundred percent unprecedented event. I'd been to like so many of these things before, and everybody was like so nice. And so laid back and so friendly. People in martial arts, for the most part, are either, they're either cocky and friendly or just, like, friendly and friendly. Because when you, when you spend so much time, like, training fighting, you don't really feel like you have a need to, like, prove yourself. You know, you don't have that, like, I need to let people know I'm tough. Because, like, internally, you already kind of feel like you're tough. Even if you're not, you still kind of feel it because you're working out and practicing so much. And uh, this guy, um, Tank Abbott Light, was from uh, Lake County. And he was going out of his way. To, like, tell everybody how he was from Lake County and everybody in Sonoma County, which is where Roner Park is from. That's where I'm from. Everybody in Sonoma County was a wuss compared to, like, Lake County guys. So him and me 
were in the uh, in the same bracket. It was they kind of broke it up like smaller guys and bigger guys. At any of these things I've ever been to in my life, I never saw any scale or anything like that. They would just kind of eyeball you and be like, "Well, you're small," or "Well, you're big," and then you would get put in those uh, various divisions. And I I was actually paired up with the Lake County Tank Abbott, and I. I gotta admit, I was a bit shook. I kind of bit into his, uh, his story and his gamesmanship a bit. Like, I was used to, like, fighting these, like, martial arts guys and these friendly, these friendly competitors in karate tops. This guy was, like, this guy was in a tank top, and his beer gut was big, and he had, like, a giant beard, and he looked like, he looked like he was gonna be rough. He had some ruffian friends with him and stuff, and when I, when I found out I was matched up against him, I gotta admit, man, I, I, I had, um, I had trepidations, but... I was able to defeat Dude handily. It was one of the weirdest experiences of my life. Dude had, like, he had, like, almost literally nothing. He came out, like, he was throwing, like, wild, crazy punches at me. Just, like, crazy punches. And I I just kind of put my hands up. I just put my hands up to block him. And then after maybe, like, 15, 30 seconds of that, dude completely faded. It was so, it was so wild. Beating this guy really gave me, like, a personal confidence spark that wasn't, there before because like I said a moment ago I knew that I, I I was okay against these like martial arts guys but you always kind of wonder what's gonna happen if you take it to the streets what's gonna happen if you're out there at the bar and someone comes at you with like a broken knuckle broken bottle rather they come at you with a broken bottle and they hit you and they give you a broken knuckle that's what I that's what I meant to say but um this was like this was like a big confidence boost I I, I think back about um this fight with a uh, with a lot of fondness. I also wonder if the guy was like completely working like was he completely playing do you think did he think he was gonna win did he think that he was gonna come in there with like this tank Abbott light persona and just like defeat everybody I don't know I have no idea maybe maybe guy was nuts but um don't think that this was all like an upswing for me. Don't think that like I I would ever say that I was I was beating everybody up because for the most part I lost as much as I won. I I was like a 500 guy, middle of the road, nothing great, just like just like a nice weekend competitor, but I always wondered what would happen if I if I really pushed myself, if I really like really buckled down, could I be really good? But those those hopes were all dashed one day when a um a new student entered the uh, the full circle team. He was he was a high school wrestler. He was a senior, and I I, I, I mixed it up with a guy. We, I got the chance to spar with him, and um, a homeboy grabbed me, and he threw me on the ground with like with like incredible ease, just like amazing ease. I could not believe like how quickly I was on my back, and then he just like he just like grabbed a hold of my head. And he choked me, and it was over like that—an absolute, complete, like one hundred percent manhandling, as if, as if I was fighting a nine-year-old. I know that that comes up a lot, but that's how easy I was. How easy I went down, and I, I was like, well, I don't know. This guy's really good, and I, I don't know if I could ever be really good, but I know that I can't ever be as good as a uh, as this guy. I, I was happy to find out that the guy went on to like some degree of stardom. He was a. Uh, he was a uh, fellow that goes by the name of Dave Terrell. I don't know if you're familiar with him. If you live in if you live in the Santa Rosa area, you do definitely know him because he runs a uh, big Brazilian jiu-jitsu school right now. And at one point, he actually he fought in the uh, Ultimate Fighting Championship. He fought for the championship one time. I believe he was defeated by this guy named Evan Tanner, if I if I'm remembering it correctly. But he he handled a bunch of guys on his way up. Dude was like quite a phenomenon, and he. He could add me to the list of guys he handled, but this was like a young high school 
Dave Terrell. And when he when he gave it to me, I knew that like you're you're never gonna be like that good. You're never gonna be that great. And I I also kind of realized, do you ever really want to be that great? Do you ever really want to be that good? Sure, you want to be able to handle yourself. You know, to be confident. But is like, is fighting in the UFC or whatever something you actually want to do? And I'm just like, you know, I would never ever want to do that in my life. Like, even if I was, even if I was offered the chance to like compete in something, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do anything more than like these Roner Park Community Center fights, these Reno fights, these like amateur fights, the, the world of like competitive like, actual, like, factual UFCs and stuff is horrible and violent and bloody and people get really hurt. And I I didn't want to get really hurt. I only kind of wanted to play fight. And once I once I, I, I kind of realized this, my my interest in the whole thing started to fade as, as, as like, as things do over time. And I, I started, like, missing a class every once in a while, which is something I never did. And then I started missing, like, a whole week at a time. And after a while, I just... I don't know. I just kind of faded off. And then a little while after I faded off, the uh, the class moved out of the Roner Park Community Center. And I I kind of just, like, I lost track of everything. I later found out that uh, Coach Jody moved out to Grass Valley with, uh, with Senpai Jay. And that was, that was really the end of, like, me competing or practicing martial arts, like, on any, any sort of level. I, I got a punching bag in the garage. And I hit it, I punch it, I kick it, I do stuff. I'll I'll wrestle around with the wife every once in a while, but uh, you know, that's not like like anything. And I I don't know, it was a great time. It was an exciting time in my life. I look back at it, and that guy, that guy seems like a completely different person. That was a younger me that was just like all full of vinegar. All full of pee and vinegar, who was just like itching to get out there and battle. Now, I don't want to battle anybody. I do not want to battle anybody in any way. I think that if I were forced into, like, a battle, I might be able to handle myself if I could get the fight in the way that I wanted it to. Like, I think if I could get a hold of somebody, I might be able to, like, slap them in a guillotine or, like, do something of that sort. But I just don't even want to do that in any way. I'll I'll back down. I'll do whatever. I'm much, much, much more of a pacifist at this point. I'm... I'm a pacifist due to age, even though honestly, I don't feel that bad for my age. I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm all right. I feel like I can still move. I can still get around, been, been going to the gym, lifting some weights, running on the elliptical machine. I feel, I feel not bad, but at that time I was, um, not going to say like, I was a beast because I wasn't anything like that, but I, I was in the best shape of my life. It was really, really great time. And it is a time that I look back with incredible fondness. I miss the people in the class. I miss, miss Jody. I miss Jay. I miss Doc. I miss Christopher. I miss all those people. I, I felt like a real kinship with them at the time. And a lot of them I'm still like Facebook friends with. And we'll, we'll talk every once in a while, but like those days are, they're so far in the past. I have at times considered like signing up for, for some sort of like a martial arts class or whatever, but I don't know if my body could handle the rigors of, like, getting back into, like, competitive martial arts shape. There's a, a judo school over by the 7-Eleven, and I, I go by there sometimes, and I'm like, you know, you should just go in there, see, like, getting, like, maybe, like, a compliment, complimentary class or whatever. They'll always give you, like, a free a free lesson to see if you might want to sign up. You should check into that and see if see if it's still there, but I go, you know, I don't really want to. And that, that says it all, because if you're not all in, you're just going to get dropped on your head. You're just going to get choked out. You're just going to get punched in the face. But uh, anyway, it was a great time. I think that's, uh, 
I think that's about it. I was happy to share this with you guys. This is a hard episode to get out. I've, I've been working on this, like, for a really long time. I would dabble at it for a little bit, then stop, then come back to it and dabble a bit more. It was... I don't know why. Just uh, had a hard time with this more so than I do some other ones. Some other ones in the uh, This Boring Life Saga. I'll just, I'll punch those out really quick and then go through and add in the effects because the stories just flow. The the stories are flowing for this one, but uh, I don't know. Wasn't there as much as uh, some of these other ones, like about audio cassettes or whatever. But I'm glad you're here. Glad you listened. Hope you enjoy it. Hit me up. Hit your dude up at Icy Robots on the tweets. That's uh, at, at Icy Robots on Instagram. All that good stuff. All right, talk soon. This boy is lying. I can't get with boring. This boy is lying. Oh, this boy is lying. I can't get with boring. Boring life. This boy is lying. I can't get with boring. This boy is lying. Oh, this boring life can't get my boring, boring life. This boring life can't get my boring. This boring life. Oh, this boring life can't get my.